재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Welcome back. We are continuing this discussion on the historic summit taking place between the leaders of China and Taiwan. We're going to discuss some of the key challenges that still need to be overcome to improve cross-race relations, especially uh, the long-standing question of Taiwan's sovereignty. Give us your thoughts. Text us a pound, 1013-451, or send us a cacao talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. As I mentioned, we're going to be joined by a pair of experts from abroad very shortly. But here in the studio, once again, from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, Professor Huang Zhongwuk. Professor Huang, we're going to get quite a bit on, I suppose, the Chinese perspective and the Taiwanese perspective on this. But the U.S. perspective, and I mentioned this briefly, uh, there is... Uh, widely known to be an agreement between uh, the United States and uh, Taiwan to essentially protect their national interest uh, should there be any any armed incursion or any other threat. Uh, is there any change potentially in the dynamic between, especially the security alliance between Taiwan and the United States? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, essentially, China still has about 1,000 or so medium-range missiles pointed at Taiwan, and, you know, I think that was part of the topic that President Ma raised with President Xi, and I don't see China removing those missiles anytime soon, and, you know, the real security guarantee that Taiwan has against China is basically the U.S. presence in the region, so I don't see Taiwan weakening its security ties with the U.S. I mean, if anything, they probably want to strengthen it, uh, given the fact that how much uh, importance the U.S. gives to their relationship with China. It would be like asking uh, North Korea to remove the thousands upon thousands of artillery battery units uh, pointed directly here at Seoul without any other kind of major landmark agreement that would uh, establish peace within this peninsula, right? Exactly. And the big difference is that South Korea is a huge counterattack capability, whereas Taiwan can only do minimal damage against China. Yeah, and that is an important uh, distinction here. And we're going to get more uh, from this uh, perspective. We have two experts joining us, one from Taiwan, political science uh, professor from National Sun Yat-sen University, Professor Titus Chen, and from uh, Hong Kong Baptist University, we also have political science professor Jean-Pierre Cabestan. Hello, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Uh, I want to begin with Professor Chen, if I may. Uh, Can you... Tell us, I suppose, this meeting and in the international media is considered such an historic event. Uh, does this strengthen or weaken Taiwan's long-term political status as a de facto sovereign nation? Um, okay. Um, well, the question is itself is complicated one. Um, I think the meeting itself has raised the profile of Taiwan on the international stage, uh, Taiwan has been, has suffered this issue of marginalization in international press and international politics. So the meeting itself helps a little on that matter. Um, but it depends on whether China responded, uh, in the following weeks. Hmm. And it better be before the election whether China responds to Ma Yingzhou's complaint about, uh, you know, China's uh, restrictive measures uh, imposed on China, uh, imposed on Taiwan, I'm sorry. So um, if China makes moves, uh, accommodating moves, then perhaps in the short term to medium run, uh, Taiwan's de facto 
uh, sovereign status may be enhanced to a certain extent. Hmm. But in the long term, well, we don't know uh, what's going to happen in the long term. Certainly. Now, Professor Kaveson, Taiwan has long had an ongoing struggle trying to join various international organizations. Uh, they did get gain entry into the WTO, which was considered a big coup. Uh, do you feel that there is a slight opening that uh, Beijing may condone its mem membership in various places? I suppose, namely the United Nations, but that does seem like a long shot. I think. Um we have to make a distinction between the international organizations where statehood is required, like the United Nations, mm -hmm. and other international organizations when, when statehood is not required, like the WTO. Um, the WTO includes a number of uh, customs areas, including uh, Hong Kong, for instance, uh, Taiwan, uh, and not necessarily uh, nation states. I think regarding nation-states, uh, China has not changed its view. Uh, it remains pretty adamant uh, the fact that uh, Taiwan should not be represented in uh, such organizations uh, as the United Nations. Now, where China has maybe uh, showed more flexibility or uh, is uh, in indicating that Taiwan will be welcome in the AIIB, the uh, mm -hmm. Asian investment infrastructure bank oh, that was uh, some quite, somewhat uh, predictable but i mean uh, that was one of the achievements of this uh, summit and uh Xi Jinping himself said that they will show more flexibility uh, uh, but without going into details so um and uh, uh, what, what I think is that maybe for a number of professional organizations, uh, that will be easier. Uh, but within the UN uh, system, one of the tests will be whether, for instance, in WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, uh, Taiwan will be able to be uh, a full observer, not only uh, sitting in the uh, assembly, WHA, the uh, World Health Assembly, but also in the, in the organization itself. The same applies for the uh, International Civil Aviation Organization. Right. Uh, China was a special, a special invite, uh, invitee, but, but is not a formal member. Formal member. So uh, I think some small steps have been made, but uh, we shouldn't expect too much from uh, this summit as far as uh, participation in international organizations are Concern. Right. So some very important points there. Essentially, in the long term, with these uh, uh, state entities' uh, requirements in, in various organizations, not much expected to change. Professor Huang, maybe another thing that may not be expected to change too much is there is a lot of tensions with uh, issues regarding territories. And South Korea, of course, no stranger to that as well. But if relations improve there, uh, do you believe that there could be some headway made with territorial disputes in the South China Sea. There are a host of other neighbors, Vietnam, Philippines, a lot of other countries that do have disputes there. I mean, it probably makes the calculation that Taiwanese leaders have to make a little more complicated. I mean, the big conflict that is probably coming down the pipeline is, you know, the uh, China versus the United States. And I think that really puts Taiwan in a very difficult position about how to juggle that relationship. So, uh, you know, kind of similar situation that South Korea also finds itself. But for the time being, I don't see, you know, Taiwan actually jumping in, jumping into the, the bed with China in, in uh, dealing with territorial issues that are brewing in South China Sea. And we mentioned this briefly, Professor Chen, but I'd love to get a political science 
professor's view who is in Taiwan, uh, their thoughts on what is going on politically, uh, the, the idea that uh, there may be some effort of election meddling by Beijing with the timing of this summit, uh, just three months to go into the... How, what is the political dynamics there, and how are the voters uh, receiving it generally? Well, uh, in general, uh, voters um, did not change their opinion, did not change their pre-meeting, uh, pre-Shima summit opinion. They still favor their own party and their own uh, candidates. Uh, the political uh, landscape hasn't changed that much. The political landscape hasn't changed that much, but um, is it possible that Beijing may, is there a, th a sense that Beijing may um, uh, engage in some other actions, whether it is concessions to Ma to perhaps aid the KMT uh, before the polls open three months later? Um, well, certainly Beijing, uh, just like in the previous presidential election in 1996, 2000 and uh, forward, uh, Beijing has tried very hard to do something to maybe tip the balance or make sure the candidates they favored got the, you know, got the victory and uh, claim the presidency. Uh, but this time they also want to do this kind of, you know, election meddling in the business, but in a different way. Mm. Uh, this time they understand, Beijing understand very well that DPP is very likely to cleanse both presidency and the legislature. And uh, there isn't much that Beijing can do to, to you know, change this result. So what they try to do, especially uh, in this Shima summit, is to uh, kind of establish a political framework. Uh, this political framework is, of course, based upon the 1992 consensus one China principle uh, that would define the terms of cross-strait relations, right. even uh, Dr. Tsai Ing-wen uh, win the election. And also this common political framework would uh, constrain the scope of Taiwan's political development. So Beijing might not be able to change uh, the result of Taiwan's election three months from now, mm. but Beijing has been trying to define the political uh, maneuvering, the, the space for Taiwan's political maneuver. And uh, Shima Summit is one kind of evidence of that effort. Professor Kabestan, uh, can I get your thoughts as well on the Taiwanese political dynamic and how you feel it does affect things? I, I suppose the conventional wisdom is it is still the DPP's election to lose, but what do you think are some of the potential changes in the dynamic there? Well, I think the timing of the summit was clearly decided by Xi Jinping himself in order to uh, exert as much impact as possible on the election. Uh, whether he is hoping to change the result remains to be seen. Maybe we, maybe he thinks it's too late, but he wants to put a lot of pressure on the uh, next uh, pres president, and particularly Mrs. Tsai, if she's elected, um, uh, in, in, in organizing this summit uh, less than three months before the, the election. Now, what is interesting is uh, I, I was reading earlier today the result of the uh, opinion poll organized by the United Daily News, which is a pro-KMT newspaper, mm -hmm. 
regarding the summit itself. And the Taiwanese public is pretty divided, actually. Only 37% of the respondents were satisfied with the Ma performance during the Ma Sea summit, and 33.8% was not were dissatisfied. Uh, so pretty, pretty divided the uh, electorate. And another result which is interesting is 67 of the respondents hope that the DPP presidential candidate saying well would meet uh, Xi Jinping should be uh, should 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 be uh, if if she's elected president. So they're still hoping that um, uh, Beijing will show flexibility and and uh, even if Taiwan is not going to endorse an ideal consensus or going according to which there is one China and different interpretations of one China. Uh, they're still hoping that uh, the flexibility that Xi Jinping has shown towards Mainkyu will also apply to to Tsai to Ing-wen. Now, as far as Ma is concerned, of course, he's, he's hoping that this summit will have some uh, uh, long-term uh, impact on, on cross-world relations, but also on, on domestic politics hmm. in Taiwan. Now, as you know, in the KMT itself, Ma has been pretty isolated. Uh, Eric Drew, the current uh, candidate for the presidency, has taken his distance from him. Mm-hmm. At the same time, with this uh, recent summit, uh, Ma uh, can sol- still play a few cards. Uh, it will be interesting to see whether you know Eric Drew is going to uh, meet with him uh, before heading towards uh, to to the United States, to, which is going next where he's going next week. And what would be interesting also, uh, and I bring the United States in the equation to see what will be Washington's reaction to um, and uh, uh, to, to Eric Drew's visit, and how they will sort of uh, remain neutral uh, towards both candidates, Ayn Wen and Drew Lidun, or whether they will take side. Um, Beijing, uh, Washington's interests are mixed in this equation, and. Uh, um, they, they want, uh, uh, I think, more than anything else, stability in the strait. Right. And maybe they may have a preference for a group, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't make, 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 make it public. So that's, that's a pretty complicated domestic and international yeah. context, and where many factors are going to uh, impact the, uh, have an impact on the election in, in two months' time. Certainly. Now, uh, Professor Huang, Maybe from the Korean perspective, but again, this might be apples and oranges comparisons. Uh, we had landmark historical summits in 2000 with uh, President Kim Dae-jung and then leader, uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-il. Subsequently, a few years later, former President Noh Moo-hyun and also uh, Kim Jong-il ma- meeting again. Uh, people may argue as to the long-term impacts of that, whether it did uh, produce positive net results, and we do have a very different electoral system than Taiwan, so the political dynamics can certainly change things as well. But what, do you feel that this summit can be something that has long-lasting impact, like in Korea, arguably, or it's something that really depends on the political situation? Well, one thing that has happened in Korea is that ever since the Nomian met with Kim Jong-il, there has been no summit meeting between North and South Korea. So, And that's largely because you know, there's a, South, a subsequent administration in South Korea has taken much more an anti-North 
North Korean stance, and North Korea hasn't has, hasn't really hidden its preference for the so-called progressive part of the Korean electoral system. And you know, you kind of wonder if the China will take a similar uh, a similar approach with respect to Taiwan, saying that hey, we'll only deal with presidents of Taiwan if they are pro uh, they're pro one China policy, not pro independence movement. That is something that remains to be seen. Mm. Professor Chen, now again, this is apples and oranges, but many people here in Korea they dream of reunification between South and North Korea. I imagine there are some people who also uh, dream of uh, a reunified China and Taiwan. Uh, there is also a strong contingent here in Korea that would prefer the status quo because of the uh, earthquake changing shifts in society and politics and culture uh, if unification takes place. What do you think in, in terms of the long term, the future of Taiwan and its sovereignty with China is uh, something that will happen in, in terms of the next few years? That's a very interesting and also provocative question. Um, it really depends on uh, your generation. Uh, in my generation, the people in, in aged 40 and older, we grew up with uh, a very uh, Chinese nationalist uh, nature of uh, education. Our mm. curricular design was all geared toward a unification. But, of course, it's a unification under the KMT, right. the ROC structure, so still in our dream, maybe in the deep of our mind, we still dream about a unification with the mainland. Uh, but people uh, younger, at younger age, like 30 and uh, younger, they grew up with the, uh, an uh, education that's focused on Taiwan and Taiwan itself. And uh, their educational uh, background taught them China is part of a foreign uh, or international world. For people like them, younger generation, they do not have that kind of reunification as a uh, political option. It is simply out of their option. So I would say uh, the population in Taiwan that favors or dream about unification is uh, reducing. It is uh, declining quickly. Mm. Uh, but uh, if China uh, carries out political reforms, for instance, a substantial political reform that gives democracy or liberal values some air, some space, then people like me, we would reconsider uh, the, the, the possibility in the very long term uh, concerning this cross-rate relations. Yeah, some very interesting thoughts. Uh, we're almost out of time, but Professor Kabasan, uh, just some final thoughts from you. What do you think are some of the key challenges ahead for cross-strait relations? Well, the first challenge, of course, is Taiwan election. Uh, so that will put a lot of pressure on both of Beijing and, and Washington to deal with her, a bit like uh, Chen Shui-bian in 2000. And I think, uh, well, in a way, they better prepare for that uh, new uh, transfer of power. Uh, but at the same time, I think that Taiwan's room for maneuver is pretty narrow and she won't vote the vote. Uh, Beijing and Washington have also an interest not to work the boat too much because they're busy on other fronts like the South China Sea, uh, cybersecurity and many other issues uh, that divide uh, uh, both uh, uh, countries. Uh, but I think the longer term, of course, is what um, 
Mr. Professor Chen just indicated is the fact that the Taiwanese feel more and more Taiwanese and less and less Chinese. Hmm. And Ma Ying-chiu's discourse was very much espousing the nationalist, uh, old traditional Chinese nationalist discourse. And that's, I don't think that a lot of young people in Taiwan are going to buy this discourse. And here there's a real divide which we're really going to deepen in the foreseeable future. So that's why we have to be careful about the uh, long-term implications of this summit. All right. We will leave it there. Uh, thank you to both of our professors uh, from overseas, uh, Titus Chen and Jean-Pierre Cabastan. Professors, thank you both for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And also we have Professor Hang Jong-wook. I think um, on a final note, it is quite interesting how uh, we get this perspective of a very thorny issue involving two countries who have been at loggerheads, a lot of tension, maybe signs of peace or maybe reunification, but there are some parallels here, too. They talked about the generational shift, and a lot of younger people here in Korea as well, if you talk about reunification, don't necessarily see that as the desired endgame that uh, a lot of the Taiwanese of the young Taiwanese of today also feel. Yeah, and, and I'll probably argue that even the older generation, people who are kind of economically invested in the current status quo of Korea, is actually looking for re- reunification either. I mean, given the, the, the you know, disparity between North Korea and South Korea, I mean, North Korea compared to China is a whole different story in terms of economy. So I think, you know, some parallels are there, but I think, that, you know, the sentiments here in Korea for the unification might actually not be more of an age thing, but more of an ideology. Yeah, and that's another important point as well. Professor Huang, as always, we do appreciate your analysis and insights, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much.